start this week's episode with a confession. For the first time in 60 odd episodes, we had a technological nightmare. Thankfully, Valerie Farris and Jonathan Dayton agreed to be interviewed all over again 24 hours later. Boy, am I glad they did. Sound Tracking, the podcast about the sounds of the screen. Val and John cut their teeth making music videos, working with the likes of Jane's Addiction, Red Hot Chili Peppers and the Smashing Pumpkins. They moved into feature films with the wonderful Little Miss Sunshine, which was scored by Davochka and Michael Dana and showcased tunes by Sufjan Stevens and Rick James. Their latest offering is the fantastic Battle of the Sexy, starring Emma Stone and Steve Carell. The plot is loosely based on the 1973 tennis match between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs. Now, as well as including tracks from Elton John and Tommy James, the movie scored by our old friend Nicholas Brattel. Be sure to check out our previous episode with Nicholas after you've finished listening to this. But in the meantime, enjoy his work on this current project as Val and John tell me what they asked of him again. Val and John, I have to say thank you because this is take two. I'm not going to lie to our listeners. We did this once before and I failed. No, we just, it was our practice. You know, we, our, our yeah, we, that was our warm up. So we're going to be so it's, much better this it's time. It's going to be really amazing. <laughs> and well, listen, congratulations on Battle of the Sexes. It really is a, a wonderful film that has so many layers and it feels like such a, an important film because it's a message that even though it's a story that's 40 odd years old, it still needs to be told for so many people. Is that part of the attraction for you with the film? Well, I think when we started it, we thought that it was going to be more of a celebration of um, how far we've come. <laughs> but in the two years that it took to make the film, or two and a half years, things changed dramatically in our yeah. country. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so um, I guess it now has become more of it sort of raises the question how far have we come mm-hmm. and um, what are we going to do about it? I love the story you told the other night that you were hoping to have a screening in the White House. That was the original plan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Billie Jean yeah. is very close to Hillary, so we thought, oh, that'll be fun. But <laughs> um, yeah. if she runs for president, which I told her she Billie should, Jean. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That I, well, you know, there is a sign at the end of the movie where, and it was in the original match that a woman was walking through the crowd with a sign that said "Billie Jean for president." Still got time, so yeah, yeah. She's, I think she's ready. And yeah. um, the music in this film is wonderful. There's the score, which the wonderful Nicholas Bertow has done, but there's also some great contemporary music and kind of needle drops in there that are also part of the story, I think, as well. But let's talk about Nicholas, who's been on this show, and we had a wonderful time with him, talking about his experience on Moonlight and working with Steve McQueen on Mm. 12 Years a Slave. What was the attraction to working with Nicholas, and how did you get him on board? Well, you know, we had heard a lot about him. There was sort of a buzz around town, because he's actually relatively new. Yeah. To feature films and mutual friends said you're gonna really like him and we met him and it was just instant connection and we actually hadn't heard the soundtrack from Moonlight yet we hadn't seen the movie until we hired him but we just knew once we talked to him and just talking to him about the film we sent him a rough cut a very early rough cut 
and he just seemed to really get it. And then when we started to talk about music, it was just like you knew from the conversation that it was going to be a good working relationship. He moved out to Los Angeles, moved all his stuff into our editing offices, and wow. ha he had a, like a little black room. It was all <laughs> soundproofed and um, with his keyboard and his flat screen. And you know, we just spent what three months, mm -hmm. at least, um, yeah. just going between our edit room and his room three or four times a day. You know, we'd discuss something, and he'd work for an hour and come back and say, "I'm ready. Check this out." So it was just, you know, we kind of talk about it as being like Rumpelstiltskin, where he, <laughs> he weaves straw into gold. Yeah. But, you know, he'll, he'll, I mean, it's it's such a special skill to be able to discuss something, but then actually be able to manifest that idea in a beautiful and, frankly, surprising way. It's it's always more beautiful than what we imagined. We, yeah, <laughs> what we talked about, which is why we don't write music. Yeah. <laughs> language isn't it you use your your filmmakers he's a composer so he talks in a language you guys and trying to find that middle ground of where you understand each other well it's funny because like we come from music of working in the music you know world doing music videos and and we love music and he loves film so there is this sort of um, overlap land that we both inhabit of, of music and film and so I think in that way we really were able to communicate a lot and talk about songs or things that sort of were references and of course he knew them and could play them instantly you know anything you mention oh, oh you mean this and he'll just play it perfectly so, so he could always work at a bar as a piano guy yeah. you know yeah he's always got songs that with a tip jar yeah. he has so many things he could fall back on it's kind of 
You just want to be that person at Christmas, don't you, when you've got everyone around and you're going, let's have a sing song around the yeah. piano and you can oh, play anything. Any song. <laughs> in the film with regards to the music as well because there are so many layers to the film is wonderful there is the sport element there's this event going on there's a love story going on there's also this road trip going on that these girls are, are mm -hmm. a part of as well but all these different elements have their own kind of feel with the music and it's but it's so subtle mm. the way that it moves and shifts between them all as well yeah I mean that was one of the things that we you know we sort of started with is talking about the different themes in the movie and creating those themes and then once Nick created the themes we spent one session I remember at our house and we watched the whole movie and we as we went through every scene we'd say okay this has got to be you know Billie Jean's theme and this has got to be the competition theme and we you know we just kind of spotted the whole film but it was mm. so fun because you know we were all in agreement and then he would as we were watching he'd sort of play something and we just could envision the whole score sort of together and then you know things would evolve but it was really just incredible that process we had never quite gone through that process with someone Bobby's theme, the easy thing I guess would have been to make that quite cartoon-like and comical yeah. because that's kind of how people perceived him. But even he as a character had lots of layers and Elizabeth Shue and her character, his wife, is the person who allows those different sides to him to be mm -hmm. seen, but the music as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the hardest themes to kind of land was Bobby's theme, which you hear as you move into the office building. It's like the first shot the of first the film. first time we meet him. Mm -hmm. And it zooms into his office um, window. And that theme was really hard, and it ended up, the, the whole film was in a, um, four, I guess four. a four four, and we tried a waltz for Bobby, and it somehow felt right because it had a certain sadness to it. I don't know why it reminded us of kind of Randy Newman, and then that just informed kind of where we went with Bobby's character. But we we never saw him as purely a clown, so the music needed to sort of um, take us to another side of his personality. Thank you. 
But what was really exciting is that we developed all these different themes for the different subplots. Yeah. And then we brought them back during the match so that as they're playing the match, you hear bits and pieces of all the themes that have sort of accumulated and that are in fact loading the drama of the match. So musically, we're able to, you know, convey the... It's okay, you guys yeah. can yeah. stop. No, bye. <laughs> bye. They, there's, they edit. There's our actress Elizabeth Shue is waving yeah. to yes. us. The right. one no, to but, sing the Back to the Future theme tune as she left yes, the room there yes, was just yes, too yes. much. No. But, <laughs> Sorry. So, so, no, but just so, so, so musically, we're able to recall all the way in which this match mm. is loaded with, you know. Various dramas. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Nicholas, as well, you also um, brought in Sarah to work on a specific track at the yes. end of the yeah. film, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we were very excited about having an official pop song at the end of the movie that was created just for the film. Mm. So we approached Sarah Bareilles, and she, together with Nick, took some of the themes of the film and then wrote a new song in which those themes are sort of echoed, but they're not the core part of it. And it's 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 a really powerful song that now appears in the credits. You were saying that you really want to make sure people stay for it, but there's oh, a no. clever thing there that's happening at the end of the film that encourages people to stay. Make sure you stay till the end, because it's so great. If I dare to ask it, and I dare it to be true. If I dare to risk it, and I know that I'm willing to. If I dare to want this, to want more than I have, then I dare to believe. I'll have it in the end You climbed the mountain Sent pictures of the view And still can't believe when I started climbing too You haven't heard that I'm not afraid to fall That I'm not deterred yet Until I tell them all What about 
with regards to the, the contemporary choices of music in there because Billie Jean's obviously been part of this whole process. She's been very supportive of this incredibly personal part of her life being made public and shared and told mm. by you guys and told beautifully, by the way. Um, but music for her, um, did you speak to her about what her listening habits were and what she had on her? I don't know, whether did she play it in cassette or did she did she invite what she... We asked her, what are, like, what did you listen to then? And I mean, for one, she is a huge Elton John fan and, and loved him before she met him. But then they met and it was like love at first sight. And, you know, she was on stage with him at Dodger Stadium. There's some amazing pictures of Billie Jean with her afro. She was a backup singer yeah. on this concert. The Elton John really? concert. Oh, yes. yeah. There's some great pictures. Not necessarily a good backup I was singer, say but she, but she moved I well. Says she's tone deaf. I, I don't know. But, but she danced. She's a great dancer. She packed my bags last night, pre-flight Zero hour, 9 a.m. And I'm gonna be high as a kite by then I miss the earth so much I miss my wife It's lonely out in space On such a timeless flight does love to dance and so I think her music I think one of her favorite people was Gladys Knight in the Pips. And Aretha. And Aretha and you know I mean so she really liked music she could dance to but the scenes didn't really call for music dance music yeah and particularly so we used Elton John and then for the other songs that we licensed we really went for what feels right for the scene and um, we found that Crimson and Clover was kind of the perfect scene for in when Billie Jean and, and Marilyn first go out together mm. in public. Filming the club scene though with Emma and Andrea, would you play music? Would you play yeah. this, the song there so that you, you get that genuine 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, you know, we spent a lot of time selecting songs early in the process, and we thought Crimson Clover was a, a neglected classic that just put you in this kind of seductive, kind of dreamy feeling. decided that that was going to be the song for the scene and we brought it to set and we were talking to Andrea who's you know key in this scene and she was saying god the one song that really gets me dancing the one song i really feel is the song crimson and clover and we just like she had we a just real stopped to that song. yeah we just stopped we went what well, that's what we that's, that's, what, we, that's, that's what we want too. Hit and play, she, everybody. And yeah, yeah, let's go. And, and, and so, exactly how it happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it was it was um, kind of amazing. Yeah, and it was fun to shoot with it, and then you know, and then we ended up using it. But it, yeah. it's nice when you have the actual music, and we don't always use music when we're shooting, but that that was necessary. That was very necessary. You know, it's tricky because when you're telling a story about a time 40 plus years ago, a lot of those songs have been owned by other movies. And you're trying to find fresh songs that don't have some big association. We felt like What Is Life by George Harrison has been used, but it was so right for this one montage that we approached Olivia Harrison, his widow, and wrote her a note just saying how much it meant to us and how it would be so meaningful in the story. And she was really kind and gave us a really generous offer. You know, our movie, despite having Steve Carell and Emma Stone, was a low-budget movie, and we had to kind of operate on those terms. I mean, it's kind of amazing. I mean, his catalog is so rich and deep. There's just nothing that can bring the emotional life that a great pop song from the period, you know, accomplishes. So. And in some ways, there's something about a song that was really popular at that time mm -hmm. that just brings that time period back. You know, sometimes you use obscure songs because that's more the feeling that you want is just not so much of the memories that come with the song, but just evoking the period. And that song just resonates in a lot of ways that we liked.
music written into Simon's script at all? He had a lot of music that was different from what, I mean... It was a very different treatment. You know, he and Danny Boyle worked on the film initially. There was actually a scene with, with Bowie as Ziggy in a club performing a song. And we were like, yeah, that'd be cool. But the thing that we, I don't think, ever works out is watching someone else pretend to be a famous person that we Especially all know. Bowie. Yeah, Bowie. Yeah, that, that is, scene. yeah. In that, that, that. <laughs> I mean, it helps when you're reading the script and you imagine the real David yeah. Bowie as you're <laughs> yeah. reading it. Yeah. yeah, and so anyway, for many reasons, we cut that scene. Ziggy played guitar, jamming good with Wed and Gilly and the spiders from Mars. He played it left hand, but made it too far. Became the special man, then we were Ziggy's band. Ziggy really sang. There's a weird connection with a composer you've worked a couple of times before in that he composed the music for Crazy Stupid Love. Yeah, right? Nick Urata. Yeah, 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 that's so funny. Yeah. I never Steven made Emma. that connection. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's a kind of yeah. lovely Very kind of... small world, kind of, yeah. <laughs> we love Nick Urata. He's a great poser. Well, in terms of bringing him and his, his band, the Vochka, on who you guys use on Little Miss Sunshine, how did that come about and why were, were, were those, along with Michael Dana, used as, right. for, the, for composing Little Miss Sunshine? Yeah, I think it was early on when we were still trying to get the film made, we were listening to our local radio station and they played um, You Love Me, the Vochka song, You Love Me. We were lying in bed and we heard that song and we were like, oh my God. Oh, that is the sound of our movie. That's the soundtrack. It just felt so right to us.
It was sort of sweet and noble, and there was a longing in it. It just yeah. felt like a ro- felt a little bit like a western. You know, it had a little Ennio Morricone. You know, it just had this great sort of road trip feel. Yeah. So we kind of filed that away, and then when we were making the film, we we also met with Michael Dana and really liked his work and liked him. We thought, well, maybe they could work together, and because Tabachka had never done a soundtrack before. <laughs> So we kind of tempt the movie with a lot of well, we songs. we also in digging into their catalog found this song "How It Ends," which we used as the overture that really was our so means to to meet the family, and it was just perfect. Modified it a little. Well, they we well we, we took out the lyrics and then we kind of yeah. looped it and played with it. But That's but it, it, you know that song just became the central element that determined the the tone of the movie. I mean it was you know kind of this dark comedy and it starts with this very brooding song and people take a long time before they feel like they can laugh. But it was essential. It was it was just the right thing. A song that I will for eternity now only ever think of Abigail and you guys and that film. Oh. Rick James Super Freak. Oh.
my head I'm singing it right now. I'm not going to do that out loud. Um, all I can see is, is, is that is the end of the film. It's kind of... It's, it was, well, it's a, it wasn't always that way. You know, I mean, no. the, the, I, I love uh, when I hear something that feels so right almost didn't yes, happen. It, it was written into the film. Yeah, but, but we, you know, we were trying to figure out what was right for that song. And we needed something in this final dance sequence that would offend the people in the pageant audience, but make the people in the movie audience root for her. That girl is So we originally shot it with Gimme All Your Lovin' by ZZ Top, and it just lacked energy, and it just didn't, frankly, it worked. Attitude or something. It just, it just it felt, felt flat. We thought we were going to have to reshoot the end scene. I mean, we cut it together, and it wasn't working, and we just thought, oh, God, this movie's not going to work. Our music supervisor, who's an old friend and a DJ, said, you know, guys, try Super Freak. And we're like, what? No, that would be way so too obvious. So on the nose. <laughs> so wrong. She said, just try it <laughs> for me. So we just pulled it up on our computer and played it along. Very like, okay, we'll, we'll get it over. And then, of course, it was just, oh, my God. That is the magic ingredient. She's a kind of special. She's a kind of freaky girl. The kind you won't bring home to mother. Mother. And that was like... Oh God! And as she's doing her funny thing, with slapping her, her butt. I don't know. It just was. It was disturbingly right for it. And then you know, we then we were like, Oh God, what if we can't get it? You know. And it cost a lot, and we paid for it. And it was worth it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Every penny. One thing about that was something I wanted to talk about as well was that I. I was reading that when Abigail had her headphones on, she actually had music playing to avoid her hearing all of what Alan's profanities. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, it, yes. it, her mom was very good about protecting her on set, so she was protected from yeah. his, his <laughs> colorful but language. somehow she always managed to take her headphones off at just the right moment to say, what are you guys talking about? So, yeah. And then he says, politics. And she puts him back on. Yeah. So I, maybe she got Amazing. a cue from someone. Oh, she's good at lip reading. Yeah, I think she was lip reading. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sufjan Stevens as well. Oh, yeah. yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh. When your we reaction were, to No, it's so funny because we were shooting the movie and Tony Collette and Paul Dano and Val and I went with a couple of other friends to see Sufjan. That's how you say it, sorry. Yeah, no, that's right. And we, like, were blown away. And he just had so much beautiful music. It was like a really interesting part of his career. I fell in love again All things go, all things go Drove to Chicago 
things known, all things known. We sold our clothes to the state. I don't mind, I don't mind. I made a lot of mistakes in my mind. Chicago. Yes. Yeah. No. I mean, we'd we heard it. We'd fans. heard it. Paul. Paul. Yeah. You know, was playing it a lot. It was Paul when we were shooting. But anyway, we tempted in, and then we were like, couldn't we couldn't get it. We couldn't find better. anything better. And there's just something just, again. It was related to what Devochka was doing. There's just this kind of heroic. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna just we're, kind of. We're, yeah. Out. Just damn the torpedoes. Yeah. Let's just keep the going. New frontier. We're gonna. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it just had that feeling, and you know, we tried to write something original for it, but we just, you know, it's. I feel guilty about it because it's what happens a lot with directors where they get in love, fall in love with their temp. And on that one, we just decided that no, we're going to put it in there. And we went to, Stu- to Sufjan and asked if we could get the tracks without the vocals, right? Yeah. So we, we kind of had to remix it, but but he was very he was gracious. Great. And you know that song is actually it's 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 interesting because he has so many different versions of that song that you can kind of dig around the internet and find. <laughs> One of my favorite ever gigs was he was on stage with the National. Ooh, that was just heaven for me. You know, heaven. It's sort of funny. Circling <laughs> back, I remember he Sufjan got some award for being like this awesome. genius songwriter, <laughs> and it was some award that Elton John oversees and Elton John is just a huge fan of Sufjan so yeah Elton John is a fan of a lot of new music yeah, he's, yeah. he keeps he's his very in the ball that way stays yeah. in touch yeah if I was crying in the van with my friend it was for freedom from myself and from the land I made a lot of mistakes 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 You came to take us All things go, all things go To recreate us All things grow, all things grow Music videos is something that was was kind of where you started as well, and MTV and that whole generation. Do you think that that's had an influence in your relationship with music and feature film? I think it of course does. Music is a big part of our prep going into making a movie. We are always making folders of music for the film, and 
the mixtape of the film. And then I think the other thing, we worked with a lot of the same bands over and over. And so I think we always thought of our cast in our films as sort of our band. Then they have to play together. And then they each kind of play a different, slightly different part. And I think music has always been sort of a model for us, both in the architecture of music and then also just the way bands work and function together. There's just so much to be learned from studying music. And it's sort of unspoken. I mean, when you watch, for example, the Red Hot Chili Peppers play or Jane's Addiction, I mean, one of the best things we ever got to do was film Jane's Addiction live at the Hollywood Palladium when the band had just come up with one of their greatest records. And it was just so wild to watch them work with each other. But, of course, not a word is exchanged. Mm-hmm. Or the Smashing Pumpkins. So, anyway, it's just you don't want people talking too much. There's just something that happens when people are communicating. On a more intuitive level, there's just something that happens. Like, that is, I think, our number one rule is we try to talk as little as possible to our actors. If, If you get the right people, then you don't need to say a lot. Favorite video or one of your favorite videos? That we did? Yeah. I have a lot of other favorite videos. <laughs> other people's no, no, videos that are my favorite. It's all about you, why not? What's the first one that pops I mean, I, I think it's probably 1979 just because they're, it's probably the most personal video. It felt kind of like our high school experience. So I think that one. Yeah, I mean, Tonight Tonight was really a breakthrough moment for us, just in terms of it kind of opened up our film career. lucky we did a couple of videos for the Ramones that was amazing and REM. In Jane's Addiction you know we, we didn't direct really Ben Caught Stealing but that's where we first worked with Perry Farrell and that was just a great relationship and we adore him and he's an amazing guy and then you know the Chili Peppers were just uh, also like I think Other Side was our first video with them. I sort of loved that because it was ultimately like working with real artists. Yeah. And, you know, they're still a band. And yeah. that's pretty amazing. For They've just stuck it out for so many years and done beautiful work. How long, how long will I slide or separate my side? I don't, don't believe. 
record I bought. Really? Yeah. Such a great yeah, song. Yeah, such a great record. Yeah. Val and John, thank you so much for your time. I can't wait to see what's next from you guys. Let's not leave it another five years. <laughs> or 24 hours. <laughs> yes. Yes. See you in 48. Yes. <laughs> thank you so much, Thank guys. you Cheers. very much. Thank you. Stealing by Jane's Addiction, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Valerie Farris and Jonathan Dayton. My eternal gratitude to Val and John for taking the time to talk to me, not once, but twice, and I'm so grateful to them for making the effort. Battle of the Sexies is on general release now, with our good friend Nicholas Bertel's score available via Sony Music Entertainment. Now you can link to Spotify playlists for all of our episodes via edithbowman.com where the tracks we play are queued up in the order they appear. My website is also the place to subscribe to the podcast or you can head to iTunes if you prefer. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We're at Soundtracking UK. And please do share on your socials if you like what you hear. Next up, we step back into the world of the producer and a man who's not only brought us the entire Harry Potter collection, but he's also back in cinemas with Paddington 2. Next week, we're joined by David Heyman and I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. (laughs) 